We're going to take a look tonight at the last installment of the Proverbs series. So we are winding down. It's been a real treat to go through this uh, with y'all. I've loved doing it. I've loved uh, being in it and learning more about it myself. Listen, we've been saying this all semester long, that the book of Proverbs is seeking to make us wise. And we said that wisdom is, is more than smarts. It's not less than that. And wisdom is actually needed in all those areas of life where the Scriptures don't speak directly to your situation. And so, really, the book of Proverbs is concerned not so much with telling you the right thing to do in every instance, but instead to make you the sort of person who makes wise decisions. And so it's always focused on what sort of person am I becoming? What sort of man, what sort of woman am I becoming? And tonight, we're going to look at a topic that... I'll just speak frank with you. Unless you begin to get serious, you see the power of it in your life, you'll likely leave relational carnage wherever you go. We're going to take a look tonight at the topic of anger and what the Proverbs has to say about it. As you can, as we've just read, it has a lot to say. And I'd like to show you tonight why we need to understand our anger and what to do with it if we want to become wise in God's world. So let's pray together and ask God to help us, help us by His Spirit. God, we do come to You now and we ask that You would do what only You can do. Soften our hearts. Open our ears to be able to hear about Jesus tonight. Yes, even from the Proverbs. That we would see His grace in our life. That He would see how He has provided all that we need. And that, Lord, that You might show us something about who You are and about who we are in light of your greatness and your goodness. And so, Lord, teach us tonight, we pray. Amen. It's been said that our culture is a culture of, believe it or not, uh, outrage. Of outrage. Uh, you know, you don't have to, if you've been on the internet for more than five minutes in the last, you know, month or so, there has been tons of, I don't want to say ink spilled, but you know what I mean, uh, about the type of culture that we're in and its commitment, as it were, to this outrage culture. Think about it. We're angry about everything. We're angry about the cell phone that goes slowly. We're upset when traffic doesn't go as fast as we want. We're upset with our roommate who won't get her crap up off the floor. We're upset about people who are upset. You ever thought about that? I mean, like, all you gotta do is consider our current political climate. People are upset about the president and people who are upset about people who are upset about the president. <laughs> the matter is this. It runs deep into our bones. Listen to what this writer, a man named Larry Gelman writes. He says, the anger and outrage disease is the wide, is widespread and growing sense of fear that is gripping millions of Americans who just a few years ago, he wrote this a few years back, felt confident about their circumstances and future, but who today are more frightened and confused than they have ever been in their entire lives. I don't know if that strikes a chord with you. It does so much for me and for him. He says this, that actually now the outrage culture or being angry is almost as strong as a religion itself. I tell you what, that is profound. The understatement of the year here is this, is that anger is powerful. It can consume and literally drive a person. Literally, in fact, listen to this. 
The, the, the latest research suggests this about the power of anger in your very body. When you get angry, your stress hormones begin to rise and listen to what happens to your body. Like This is just somatically. Your blood pressure spikes. Your heart rate increases. Your immune system begins to drop. Your bones begin to literally lose their density. And a whole host of other things like digestion slowing, stress increasing, slowing of metabolism. It's crazy to think about our, our emotions having this much power over us. Let me say from the outset before I jump in, God made you. God made you an emotional being. So I'm not saying tonight everything that you have to hear that it's somehow awful that you're an emotional being. That's not the case at all. But tonight we're going to see how the Bible talks about our anger, how it corrects us, how it gives it a beautiful picture of what it ought to look like, and how we can actually learn more about it in this context. So tonight we're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to look at the danger of anger. In fact, anger, anger is dangerous, if you want to call it like that, okay? The, you'll, you'll see what I mean. You can't spell danger without anger. That's my first point, actually. So let's take a look at it. Here we go. Anger, danger without anger. <laughs> first few Proverbs. I'm looking at 14.29. I'm looking at 15.18. 1919 and 292. So we're going to jump a little around a little bit. But let's first of all see this. I want you to see the Proverbs are showing us that there is incredible power in anger. That there is a potency in anger. And let's take a look at what I mean by this. Look at 1518, how it reads this. It reads, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Here it's saying this, that anger itself actually has in it the power to induce strife, to promote conflict. It literally tears down relationships is what this is saying. Look at 29.2. It tells us the exact same thing. That a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. The language here is that this isn't actually one of like a small like minor spat or skirmish that you might have with a friend, but rather the language is of all-out warfare. I find that to be profound, that anger has that sort of power in our relationships. Secondly, I want you to look at 1919. Not only does it affect us relationally as we relate to one another, but it says this too, that the proverb says from 1919 that a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What's this saying? This idea of paying the penalty is saying this, that in anger, there is a payment that we walk around with. We carry anger in one hand and we carry the payment for it in our life in the other. It's saying this, that anger has its own destructive capabilities in it where it doesn't just disintegrate your relationships. It literally causes you to crumble. You to fall apart. The payment, the penalty in that is, is, is that anger itself is destructive to the self. Some of you have already mentioned with our bodies. And lastly, I want you to see this. I want you to see in the danger of anger that anger actually has a way of coloring, of acting as a lens to all that we see. You've heard the expression, I'm seeing red. What a perfect illustration, right? That the lens through which 
you see the world is colored red with anger. How do we know that? Well, let's take a look. Look at 14.29, that proverb there. It reads as follows, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Listen. But he who has a hasty temper, hasty means quick or speedy, a speedy temper exalts or lifts up folly. Why? One pastor put it like this. Have you ever been in an argument with a friend, family member, somebody that you didn't, sports, you know, opponent? You, your anger gets the best of you. You say something incredibly stupid, mean, and hurtful, and you get done with it. And you ever felt like this? Like, man, that was like a really, really dumb thing to say. Do you know why? It's because you were actually a fool. And that's exactly what anger says you'll do. It has a way of coloring the world where you can't even judge right from wrong, up from down. That's the power of anger. It has a way of coloring it. So here's what I want to say. Not only does anger disintegrate relationships, but its power is manifested in how it disintegrates us and actually the way that we see the world. Let me give you an illustration of this. During This is a college story. Um, a few, well, a couple of decades ago, um, when I was in college, I lived with my younger brother who's three years younger than me. We loved each other. We got along. But for the most part, I was the typical older brother. You know, I picked on him and these sorts of things, which, yes, I've repented for and say I'm sorry for and, you know, that sort of thing. But we're really good friends this day. And he, he's cool with me telling the story. One day I came home to the apartment and, um, and something happened that I'd like to tell you about. He had just finished his breakfast, which was a bowl of oatmeal that morning. And uh, he had cleaned up his bowl, which is amazing in the first place. Let's give him props for that, okay? But he left in the sink. Have you all ever seen those scrubby brushes that are like part yellow and part green? You know what I'm talking about? So he had kind of cleaned up his oatmeal that was left in the bowl and left the wet sponge with all the little flecks of oatmeal in the green part. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Pet peeve, I guess, of my senior year in college. But... I looked over at him and I said, I want you to just listen to how anger is, anger is boiling in me at the end of this point. Listen to this. He had just had a bowl and, and this just grossed me out so much. So one, I was displeased. There's the, there it is. Like it's, there's the root of it. And secondly, I said, Hey, will you come clean out this brush? It's got oatmeal all in it. He said, Yeah. When I get done watching this show, I'll clean it up later. And now my ego's involved because I've been crossed. Because he won't do what I've told him to do. And I say, no, you'll come do this right now is what you'll come do. And he says, he, expletive, you're crazy. And all the time I'm thinking, does he not know who I am? We know how this story goes. I said, you've got to the count of three to get over here and clean this up. Or I'm bringing it over and I'm unloading it in your face. And I said, one, two, three. And I walked over there and I just squished that thing all in his face. It gets better. It gets better. An important detail that I did not put in the story. My brother is about 6'4", 245 at this point. He is a championship boxer as well. He gets up and hits me square in the shoulder so hard that I felt like this shoulder ended up over here, like through my body. And I saw more red then. And then I reached back as far as I could and I laid one into his back 
And we both just sat there after one punch thrown and said, you think we should stop? (laughs) And we've never fought again. Here's the point. Did you catch how anger how anger grows? And did you begin to see how I became disintegrated? And did you see how I began to be fractured with my younger brother? And how the world owed me something? That's the power in anger. And what this text is telling us over and over again is unless you begin to see that, you will leave relational carnage wherever you go. You see, some of you, the greatest gift that you can give to your future spouse right now is to take a serious look at your anger. Some of the greatest gifts that you will give to your future children, should the Lord bless you with them, is to take a hardcore look at your anger and what's causing it. The Proverbs are telling us, if you want to be wise, you must see the danger in your anger. But it's not only saying that, it's saying something else as well. It's actually showing us that anger in all of its forms is not always bad. It's showing us as well that there is a type of anger out there that the Bible actually speaks about in a different way than condemnation. But the Bible is actually going to talk about anger being a good thing. A good thing? Yes. So let's take a look. Secondly, I want you to look at anger's good desire. Take a look with me at these verses. Look at 14.29. I'm just going to read it again. It says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. The proverb is commending a route to anger. Slowness. Did you catch that? Look again at this. Look at 16.32. The same thing. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. There is an anger when approached or arrived at slowly is actually commended. It's commendable. And then thirdly, in 1911, again, the same thing. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. Oh, excuse me. I think I may have got the wrong verse there. It's 1911. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. What are the Proverbs teaching us? It's teaching us, surprisingly, that not all anger is condemned wholesale. In all of these, we see that there is an anger that is good. It's slow anger. And therefore, some anger is good. Let me move across the Testament now. I'm going into the New Testament. And I want you to hear a little bit about Jesus Himself's words about anger. On the one hand, you might remember from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus looks at anger and says, there is a kind of anger that when we harbor it towards one another, it's as good as murder itself. That's pretty profound. Jesus Himself views a type of anger as synonymous with or equal to murder itself. But Jesus Himself in another part of the New Testament, Mark chapter 3, an interesting episode happens. Jesus is around religious leaders of His day, men called the Pharisees. And there's a man who has a crippled or a withered hand. And he's in that midst as well. And they are at the synagogue, which would have been the equivalent of our church. And these men, the Pharisees, because it was the Sabbath day, were committed to the good principle of doing no work on the Sabbath. But that meant no healing either. And Jesus called them out for it. And it says that in the text that Jesus was angry at them for not being compassionate and wanting to see mercy being done. Why do I tell this to you? I want you to see that Jesus Himself got angry. We're going to see a little bit about what that was like in a moment. And then lastly, the Apostle Paul 
surprisingly in my research on this, actually commands you to be angry. He says this, be angry. There's the command. Be angry, but do not sin. So there's a type of anger out there that we're commanded for and to. What does that look like? And that's what I want you to see. I want you to see that there is an anger out there that the Bible talks about that says it's essentially a good thing. How? Or why, I should say. Because God Himself knows, as it were, the emotion of anger. How? All throughout the Bible, we hear this story about God being a God that is slow to anger. That comes primarily from Exodus chapter 34. That God is a God who is slow to anger, but He does anger. Why? How? Here's how. His love is intimately connected to His anger. And in fact, I like this phrase, that anger is just love gone on the offensive to protect and defend what is valuable to it. Let me say that again. That anger is love gone on the offensive to protect and defend what it finds valuable or it loves. Now y'all just, that might sound really technical. Let me just break it down and say this is really, really simple. If any of you have ever had a friend or a family member who has been caught in an addiction, what is your thought about the addiction? Don't you hate it? Don't you see how it ravages somebody's heart and life? How it destroys the person itself? Why? Because the thing that you love is being threatened. Its essential integrity is being worn away. And therefore, when God, it said the Bible talks about God being angry, He's angry at a sin-cancered world. That sin has ravished you and me. And God sees it and He despises it because it's tearing apart His beloved. That's the image that the Bible gives us over and over again. You see, anger, at the heart of anger, is intimately connected to God's love. And in fact, some folks will even say this. They'll say, I can't believe in a God of love. I mean, a God of anger. I want a God of love. And I would just like to suggest to you for your consideration tonight, based on what I've shared with you about an addict or a parent who will not stand to see his or his, his or her child be, be torn apart, that that anger is actually uh, consistent with, concomitant with, it goes together with the very love that they have for them. It's to see a, 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 a good thing destroyed. I love the story, or the movie rather, uh, Inside Out. Folks seen it? Yes, Riley, okay? The little child, the child in that movie. It's about her brain and the emotions that are going on in her brain. And there's one of the emotions that shows up in this movie. There's several. But uh, the one that is red is anger, okay? And there's this scene where Riley is ordering pizza at a pizza shop there in San Francisco. And so she orders a slice of pizza and the server slides up, slides, uh, serves up the slice of pizza and there's broccoli all over the pizza. And anger says this. He says, congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians and now you. Why? Because something he loved pizza was threatened with broccoli. Okay? 
Now, that's, that's, that's a little bit humorous example, but I want you to begin to see that anger is actually intimately connected with an expression of love. You begin to understand that there's a type of anger out there that's really, really good, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Let me just put it this way. Anger is not the opposite of love. Anger is not the opposite of love, friends. Hate is. And as one writer puts it, the final form of hate is indifference. To just not give a rip. You see, when you're expressing your anger about something, you're actually showing your desire for something good that you want, that you value. And that's what the Bible is telling us over and over again in its story about what anger is. A few few ways to drive this home. I think this forces us to ask this question. What are you, when you struggle with anger, what is it really about? What is the thing that you find so desirable? If you will lift up the rock of your anger, underneath you will see what you love. It works both ways. Think about this way. Driving to work today, and um, I pull up this stop sign, and this guy is laying on his horn behind me. I'm like, I'm not speeding. I'm observing the traffic. It's a school zone. What is this jerk honking at me for? In this moment, why is it that the horn honk, like I, something boils up in me. It's like, I've got to defend my reputation. <laughs> I'm, he's not... So I'm like dog cussing him in my heart. Yes, I'm sorry, Jesus. But here's the thing. Five minutes later, I get a text from my friend, Blake, who says, learn how to drive. <laughs> I'm like, you punk. He's the one that... It was him. He was just playing with me. So the whole thing is, is that it just exposed this moment of like, I've got to defend myself. What was on the line? What did I love? What was under the rock? My ego. And boy, was it fragile. Boy, was it weak. It can't even withstand a honk from my friend in jest. That's craziness. What's under your rock? What's the thing? What is it when the nerve gets tapped? It sets you off. And it may not look like boiling mat. It may just be an undercurrent. You're just, you know, maybe you're the proud type that's not going to show your anger. You're just going to let it boil under the surface. But you're cynical. You're snarky. That the way the anger gets manifested is just with a critical spirit. You're never happy. Folks look around you and say, man, that... He or she is just a Debbie Downer. And it's anger. And what this is showing is the power of anger not only destroys, but there is something about the anger that tells us about what we love. Lastly, the last thing I want to make to you tonight is that anger comes from a good desire, yes, to see those things that we love protected and preserved. Anger wants to ward off those threats. So how do we have our anger healed when it is bad anger? Does that make sense? And, and, and that is where we now turn to look at the redeeming of our anger. Primarily, I'm looking at Proverbs 19.11 and then 25.21-22. Here's the thing that you need to understand about our anger. That our anger can be redeemed. That it can be brought into a right alignment. But here's the critical piece. I said a moment ago that anger seeks to, de- to defend and to protect what it loves. Here's the question. Do you love the right thing? You see, St. Augustine, centuries ago, said that basically we are the product of what we love. 
that our loves direct us, that they're the things that shape us. And the question that all of us have to wrestle with, whether we're a Christian or whether we're not, is to ask the question, what are the things that we love and are they love of, are they, should they be loved? Think about it like this. My reputation in the honking incident, incidents was not something that my heart should be given over to. And instead, the loving of God and of neighbor and the world that He's placed us in ought to be the things that begin to orient and to point and to shape my loves in the right direction. And it's in that sense then that we now come back to the question, what are the right places and the right things that I ought to love? Which is why, as I mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul can command us to be angry. You see, some of us are like me, where I'm more concerned about my reputation at a stop sign than I am the poverty that's three blocks over. You see, some of us are more concerned about, like me, the ten extra pounds that I'd like to shed than I am about the food crisis that exists in our world. Or what, so, so what is it for you? Where is, where does your alignment need to be brought? Where does your anger need to be brought into alignment with all of the right things? And dear friends, don't you see how this fits right in with what we've been saying about Proverbs all semester long? That you are what you love. That you are a product of the path that you were walking on. And we need wisdom. We need wisdom to follow that path. And thankfully, God gives that to us. Here's the thing that I want you to see looking at these Proverbs. It says this, 19.19, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. And again, sorry, 19.11, I keep quoting that anyways. His glory to overlook an offense. And then in 25.21, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. These two Proverbs talk about the ability to move beyond our anger, to move through it, to move past it, to be able to dispense and to do good to those around us, to be to do good to our neighbor. And so the question is, how in the world are we able to do that? How in the world can we get beyond ourselves to be able to love rightly and to have our anger rightly oriented? Well, Many writers have spoken about this, and I won't go into the details of it, but I want you to consider something, because if you will, I think things are going to begin to fall into place. Would you begin to believe for just a moment or to consider that all of our anger, all of our anger is really anger directed towards God? See, it's not just that I'm upset that the guy's honking his horn at me. It's upset that God has placed me in that moment at that very time that He's honking the horn at me. It's not just that my brother hasn't cleaned out the green sponge, right? It's that God has placed me in an environment with that brother in that story and in that moment. And the picture that I want you to begin to see is is that how does God deal with our anger towards Him? And here's the thing. You will never, ever, ever begin to see the healing for your anger until you begin to see and have an answer to this question. How does God deal with our anger towards Him for not giving us the spouse that we want, for not giving us the life that we had hoped for, for giving us the injury that we never wanted to have, for giving us whatever it might be, whatever hard circumstance in our life, until we begin to see how God deals with that, you'll never have your anger healed. So, 
What does the Bible tell us about how God deals with our anger towards Him? Do you know what He does? He absorbs it. He moves in. He straps it on His back. Do you remember what happened to Him? At His death, people were incensed. The anger of the people is what took Him to the cross. It was their very anger. to, And don't think that you weren't there by proxy. You were. It was our anger that killed Jesus. And if that weren't enough, our anger towards Jesus actually comes with a sentence because we've offended a God who deserves nothing but our heart and our love. And so now that guilt actually comes from God the Father Himself as He pours out all of His righteous anger on Jesus for our anger against God. And you know what? He does it with joy. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before Him. Christ endured the cross, enduring its shame for the joy set before Him. And what was His joy? You and me. You see, here's what I want you to see. That on the cross, Jesus bears for us our anger so that we might be brought into the heart of God Himself. Here's what I want you to know. You see, if you're thinking about Christianity tonight, and you're thinking, wow, this sounds a lot different than what I thought. I thought Christianity was just sort of about being a moral person. It was just being a good, you know, was like being kind to people. And I almost said, that stuff is important. But that is not what lies at the heart of Christianity. Here's what lies at the heart of Christianity. That God looks at rebels. God looks at people with guns and tanks and bayonets pointed at Him, set out to do Him hard harm. Men and women who don't want anything to do with Him. And Jesus walking in, embracing us, welcoming us into His very heart, causing and bringing about His own death and resurrection for us. You see, friends, when you see that, you begin to understand something about what lies at the very heart of the Gospel. That Jesus has come to woo and to win sinners like you and me back to Himself. And when you see that, there is hope for you. There's actually hope now to be able to go out and live a way in a way that begins to rightly process your anger. To rightly have your loves directed such that every time somebody crosses you, you don't have to blow up. Such that you don't have to be cynical and critical. Why? Because you know that Jesus Himself has already given you everything that you need. And that His love, as the psalmist has said, is actually better than life itself. Do you believe that? That's what the cross tells us. Let me close here. Doing Proverbs has been a real treat with y'all. My hope in doing it was to see God's Word applied to your life in a way that made you wiser. And my hope is is that you will continue to come back to this wonderfully challenging and wonderfully enriching book to be able to teach you how to walk with Jesus more intimately. And as you do so, I promise you, you will be made more like Him. That's the great hope. Let's pray together. God, You have been faithful to us in a thousand different ways, in a myriad of opportunities. You have not abandoned us. And Lord, You are, dare we say it, both gentle and harsh with our anger. You're harsh with Jesus. You're heavy with Him and kind with us. 
would that begin to melt us? When we see Your mercy, and might we change, might we, as the Bible says, repent and turn unto You that we might know life. Help us, Lord. Help us to see it. And would You help us, O Lord, and would You change us? It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.